guarantee you, I guarantee you that this room will be filled with laughter at the end of this joke. I guarantee it. Okay, money back guarantee. I guarantee you. And I got a good one joke for you today. The Pope. It's a good start right here. The Pope. On his travel, on his visit to America, there's a story that when the Pope of Rome, okay, the Pope of Rome, when Pope Francis came to visit America, a story that not many people know. But because you deserve to know the inside scoop, okay, what really happened, there was a day when he came here, and you know when the Pope comes, he's always driven around in a limousine. Everywhere he goes, he's driven around in a limousine. Okay, and this Pope, Pope Francis, was a little bit unique. He didn't want to be driven around in a limousine. He wanted more humble car. But what you didn't know was that the first time he had the limousine, he said, I want to drive. So he told the limo driver, you know what, I'm the Pope, I'm going to drive, you get in the back. And the limo driver is like, you know, I'm going to get in big trouble, but I can't say no to the Pope. So the Pope gets in the front seat, limo driver gets in the back seat. The Pope peels out of the parking lot, okay, and this is like a chance of a lifetime, because they don't let him drive around usually in most places. So he's driving around, he's taking sharp turns, he hits on the highway 105 miles an hour, on the highway. And as he's driving like a crazy man, the guy in the back's just begging him to go slower, but the Pope is just having the time of his life, and what can you say? All of a sudden, he hears sirens. A policeman pulls them over. Pope pulls over to the side. The cop asks him to roll down the window. He takes one look at the guy, and he goes back to his car. And he calls the station and says, I need to speak to the chief. And he gets the chief on the phone, and he explains to the chief there was a limo going down the highway 105 miles an hour. And the chief says, okay, you know, book them. You know, you should, you know, come down hard on them. They, you should probably arrest that person. And the cop's like, I don't think I can do that because the person is kind of an important person. So the chief's like, what is it, a congressman? Says, no, bigger. Is it a senator? No, bigger. Is it the governor? No bigger. Is it the president of the United States of America? No bigger. I said, who is it? He said, I think it's God. I said, what makes you think it's God? He said, because the chauffeur is the Pope. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. No, cut it out. You know what I mean? Cut, thank you. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to have a backup. It's good to have a backup, okay? Always prepared. <laughs> Welcome to part two in Irrational Generosity, a series we are talking about not giving, but about generosity. And what we talked about before, this was our, our main takeaway from last week, is that giving is an act that we do, but generous is a person that we become. Because you can give without being generous. You can give for tax purposes. You can give out of guilt. You can give without being generous, but you can't be generous without giving. And what I talked about last week is about how generosity is the essence of our faith. That Christianity, when you boil it down, it's all about God's generosity for us and then our command to go and be generous with one another. The verse that we saw last week is this verse from here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. That talked about how you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Christianity at its essence, Christ at his essence, is rich person, sell everything that he has for the sake of the poor, so that the poor could become rich. And what we talked about last week is when I say generous, I'm not talking about just money. 
Money is an aspect, but Christ didn't write a check for us. He paid something much more, something much more dear, which is his life. And we are called to be generous with our money, with our time, with our homes, with our ears when a friend needs to talk, with our cars when someone needs a pickup from the airport, with our opinions when someone made a mistake and we have to decide to judge or not judge. We have to be generous with our forgiveness when our spouse says, I'm sorry. Like we have to be characterized, Christians have to be characterized by a spirit of generosity in all aspects. What we saw last week, number one, is that generosity will give you joy and you will never have joy if you are a miser because miser people are miserable, miserable. And the key to joy is generosity. And then we also saw last week is that it is the key to our impact on this world. We saw the Macedonian givers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, how they in extreme poverty was the expression St. Paul used, in severe affliction. They not only gave, they not only gave abundantly, they gave so much, I'm sorry, not they gave, they begged to give. That's what we saw last week. They begged St. Paul. St. Paul says, y'all are struggling, and you know what? Like, don't worry about it. And they begged, no, please let us give. And they said, he said, no, 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 like, y'all take care. No, please let us give. They begged to give. And we saw the impact, how there were people in Jerusalem and people all around that changed their view of who God is based on the generosity of these poor people. And what we said today is that if we want to impact the world out there, it is not our preaching that will impact the world. It's not our sermons. It's our generosity that will have the greatest impact on the world outside. And what we're going to do today is we're going to continue our study on generosity, and we're going to look at one of the most famous people in history, not just Christianity, one of the most famous people in history that everyone in this world knows. And the only reason he is famous, we're going to see his life story today, is because of his irrational generosity. Because he gave and gave and gave in such a way, he never preached, he didn't start churches, he didn't write books. But what he did is give in such a way that the people around him said, this person, there's something special about this person. And the best thing about our saint for today that we're going to look at is he actually lived most of his life in obscurity. Very little known about him. It wasn't until after he passed away that all the stories came out and his fame took off. And that says a lot, because it's not what people say about you when you're alive that makes a difference. It's what people say about you when you're gone. You know why? Because when you're gone is when all is revealed and all is known. And a lot of people, famous celebrities, call it what you want. In the light of historical examination, their light fades when history reveals and opens all the books. But the person we're going to talk about today is the exact opposite, that when history opened the books and all the stories came out, his light shone even brighter than ever before. Who is our hero for today? It is none other than St. Nicholas. Not the jolly fat guy in the red suit in the mall. The real St. Nicholas. And most people don't realize that St. Nick isn't just a Santa, another way to say Santa Claus. It's a real person who was named St. Nicholas, who lived in the 3rd and 4th century, and he was actually a bishop in the church of a city called Myra, which is over in modern day where Turkey is. Let's learn a little bit about who this St. Nicholas is. We're going to see in this life of this saint a life so incredible, a life so incredible that it naturally transitioned into the fictitious tale of Santa Claus. I hope everyone here is okay with me talking about Sorry. Right. <laughs> okay. 
I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> it naturally led into the idea of Santa Claus. Okay, this grand idea about this man who flies across the globe and just gives, 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 gives. And you would say to yourself, such a tale as that could not have come from a miserable, miserly person. Like, you can't have someone who's cheap and Scrooge and turn him into Santa Claus. You can't even have an average person. But the person of St. Nicholas, and when we see who he really was, you'll see that, yes, the legend is not true, but it's not so far-fetched when you see the life of this incredible man of God who inspired such a tale. The verse that I'm going to use for St. Nicholas is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This is who St. Nicholas was. Rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, because he knew. He was smart. Remember last week we talked about the rich young fool who Jesus told him, sell what you have here, I'll give you something great there. And he said, no, I'd rather have it here. Well, St. Nicholas was the opposite. St. Nick Nicholas was smart enough to say, you know what, if I trade in this to give that, I'm a winner. And he was ready to trade in the earthly for the heavenly, the temporal for the eternal, and he was rich in good works. Who is St. Nicholas? St. Nicholas was born in the year 270 AD in a city called Lycia, which is in Asia Minor. Again, roughly where Turkey is this day. He was the only child of a very wealthy merchant family. The only child of a wealthy merchant family. But even though he grew up, so to speak, with a silver spoon in his mouth, he never had a silver spoon in his heart. Because he was taught from a young age, parents, pay note to this, that even though he had all the worldly stuff, his parents taught him to be generous from a young age, and it lasted his whole life. When St. Nicholas was a teenager, both of his parents died of the plague, 13, 14 years old. And he became the sole inheritor of his parents' fortune. No other brothers and sisters. Parents who have teenagers. What would your teenage son do if he was the sole inheritor of your inheritance right now? If you gave your teenage son right now $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, what would your teenage son do? Well, let me tell you what St. Nicholas did. According to his biographer, biographer a, a guy named Michael the Archmanager, right, wrote the following. That when he was, received this inheritance, he asked God that he might dispose of his life and his assets in accordance with God's will. Is that what your teenage son would do? Is that what you would have done at age 13, 14? That you got all this money and you would pray to God, God, I want to use it in a way that's according with your will. That's what St. Nicholas was. He devoted his entire inheritance to giving charitably to the poor, the sick, the needy, the outcast, the people who were shunned by society. Now I'm going to pause the story right here. I'm going to continue the story in a second, but I just have to pause because I just said something and it just kind of blew right by all of you guys because it just comes so common for us. You heard me say something and you interpreted it as, okay, what's the big deal? You heard it as, okay, that's good, but not anything outstanding. You cannot look historically at figures from the past in all aspects of life in a modern day context. You have to look at it in the context in which they lived. We, I just said right now, charitable giving. There was no charitable giving in the third century, in fourth century. No such thing existed in Roman society. Roman society, it was everyone for himself. You looked out for you and your own family only. There was no such thing as help the poor. There was no such thing as charity. There was no such thing as tax credits. There was no such thing as donation. You cared for your own, 
And if someone else's family had hard times following them, stinks for them. It was probably the judgment of the gods upon them, and it's their problem, it's not your own problem. The first people, actually the first person, I spoke about this a few weeks back when we talked about love for community. The first person who said that we should care for people who are not our own, people who are different than us, was who? Jesus. Jesus was the first one to say, you should care for people who are not like yourself. You're a Jew, you should care about the Gentiles. You're rich, you should care about the poor. You're a man, you should care about the women and children. Jesus was the first one to preach it. The early church was the first one to adopt it. Nicholas exemplified it in his life. And that led to one of the famous stories about St. Nicholas where the legend of Santa Claus began. The story goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. There's a couple different variations, but I'll tell you what is most commonly accepted to be the truth. There was a wealthy man living in the town of Myra, where, where, where St. Nicholas lived. At this time, he was a little bit older. He had begun studying for the priesthood, and he was on his way to become a priest, but he was not yet a priest, not yet a bishop. He was living with his uncle, who was a bishop. There was a wealthy man who had three daughters, and that wealthy man fell on hard times. What it was, we don't know. But just, again, to understand the context of the time, Back then, there was no retirement funds. There was no mutual funds. There was no stock market. There was no, like, planning for the future. You lived paycheck to paycheck, and if you were a merchant, when a ship came in, you got paid. If there was a catastrophe at sea and that ship sank and you lost everything, you had no backup plan. Okay, just like a farmer, if there was a bad crop, that was it. So you had nothing to fall back on. Here's this wealthy man, three daughters, falls on hard times. Because... He ran out, he lost everything. His daughters could not get married. Why? Because back in the day, the way you would have to do it is you would marry your daughter, you'd have to offer a dowry. Because, I'll read this exactly as it is, and I don't subscribe to this, but this is, you had to offer the prospective husband something of value. I say that, and you say, oh, the woman's of value, and I agree with you. I agree. But I'm just trying to show you the context in which they live. That women were not of value. Because what was value was people who could bring in money. So you had to offer money to a husband so they would take this dependent, which is your daughter, because she would be a burden on them. I'm not saying that's today. I'm just getting you the context. This man had three daughters, and now he could no longer marry them off. So his only other option, okay, what happened when a girl wouldn't be married, she would end up being sold as a slave to whoever would take her, or, sorry to say, she would have to sell her body in order to have enough money to be married. But obviously by doing that, she lowered the class of man that she, they were in a bad situation, let's just say that. They're in a bad situation. If you're Nicholas, living in that context, you're thinking, so what? Everyone else in town is thinking, stinks for you. Tough, I'll pray for you. We would even think that today. Pray for you. Nicholas went to his house, took a sack of gold, tied it in a knot so it was tied up in a sack, and he threw it in the window. And the story goes that when he threw it in the window, it landed inside a shoe or a stocking which was hanging by the fireplace to dry. You see where the story comes from. Now, some versions of the story say he climbed up on the roof and threw it down the chimney. But I don't understand the aerodynamics, okay, behind throwing it down the chimney and ended up in the stock, okay? So I don't see it as well, but whatever. You can interpret however it is that you want. But that actually happened. 
There's a book by a guy named Adam English who wrote it called The Saint Who Would Be Santa Claus. He says about that story, when daylight came, the man, meaning the father of the three daughters, got up from bed and found in the middle of the house a pile of money. He could not hold back his tears. He gave thanks to God, but also tried to understand the meaning of this good fortune. Deciding to accept the gift as if it had been given by God. You see how generosity impacts people? Okay, impacts his view of God. Deciding to accept the gift as if it had been given by God, the father of the girls took the serendipitously found gold and noticed that the sum corresponded to the amount of money needed for a dowry. Without delay, he adorned the bridal chamber of his oldest daughter, and so his life once again became good. How sweet a sentence is that? So his life once again became good, full of joy and peace of mind, thanks to the intervention of the Holy Nicholas, who had created a way for his daughter to marry. You see the impact? You see, in a way, this man found salvation through the generosity of somebody else that he was going to have to sell this daughter into prostitution and sell her soul and sell her future, and she was saved by the generosity of somebody else. That's what Jesus did for us. Nicholas saw the effect of his generosity, so he did it again for the second daughter. And then he did it again for the third daughter. Again, same thing, sack of gold, throw it in the window, land and think. The third time, the dad was waiting for him, and the dad wanted to find out who it was. And when the dad caught him, he grabbed him and he said the following. He said to St. Nicholas, If it were not for your goodness, which was stirred up by our Lord Jesus Christ, I would have long since consigned my life to ruin and shame. See the impact of generosity? Nicholas swore him to secrecy and told him that you can't tell anybody about what happened until after I died. And so the legend began. And again, I'm just going to go back to this point. You can't overestimate, overvalue anonymous giving in the third and fourth century. It didn't happen. Wealthy people, if they wanted to help a poor person, you would help the poor person and that person would become your servant or slave for life. And that was not seen as like a bad thing. There was no such thing as anonymously give to somebody else who I don't know and I'm never going to be able to get repaid by them. That didn't exist. But that's exactly what Nicholas did. And that's what makes his story turn into the legend of Santa Claus, because it was so foreign. Another passage from this book, speaking about that. He says, there's nothing exactly like that story from other saints in that era. At that time, the most popular saint stories involved martyrdom in which a saint would die in some gruesome way. Or there were stories of rigorous monks who went out in the desert and denied themselves in heroic ways. Meaning there was no copy and paste. There was no like, oh yeah, I want to be like so-and-so. No one had ever done this before. But St. Nicholas did. But here was a story about Nicholas anonymously giving something to these three poor girls. Girls who had no one else in that era who would have cared about. Girls, sorry, who no one else in that era would have cared about. He is truly taking the biblical command to look out for the least among you to heart in a serious way. He does something that is purely generous and purely good for people who weren't the concern of society in that era. And he does it without any hope of reward. And that's just one story. I could keep going, but for the sake of time, let me just give you some of the highlights. He saved many souls through his kindness and generosity, not always financial. There was one time where some people, now he's the bishop of the town, and there were some people in the town who were falsely accused of a crime they didn't commit. 
three young men were sentenced to be executed because the governor took a bribe against them. Nicholas found out what was happening, and on the day of their execution, as the executioner had the sword lifted up to chop their heads off, Nicholas walked up on the platform, put his hand in front of the executioner, and he grabbed the sword, and he, in front of the whole town, rebuked the governor for his bribery and his dishonesty, and nobody said a word. You know why? Because that's the respect that Nicholas had. Even the governor himself, you know what his response was when Nicholas did this? He came up on the platform, he repented, he asked forgiveness of God and forgiveness of Nicholas and let the three boys go. That's who Nicholas was. Nicholas, set up as a bishop, set up orphanages, hospitals, hostels for the mentally ill, cared for the homeless, he cared for the poor, he set up a drainage system so that people who were living in the streets wouldn't die from the diseases of bad hygiene. Nobody cared about the poor, nobody cared about their hygiene. He was the one caring about them. He did miracles before death and after death. One dead person was raised, sick were healed, many appearances. He was given the title of the wonder worker by the church, which is not a title that you get average from average, average life. He was given the title of a wonder worker. He was persecuted for the faith. He was imprisoned on more than one occasion and tortured and beaten for his faith. That's Nicholas. He wasn't a fat guy who sat on a chair and said, ho, ho, ho. He wasn't a jolly guy who just had all these little elf slaves who just did all his dirty work for him. He didn't fly around on reindeer. He was a tough, hard-nosed guy who stuck up for the least of these because that was what Jesus taught us to do. Because he fought for the dignity of all, he's beloved by all. The Catholic Church, as well as the Eastern Orthodox, celebrates him on December 6th. Our church, the Coptic Church, celebrates him on December 19th. Protestants all over the world, without even realizing necessarily, okay, venerate and honor St. Nicholas, especially in Europe. There's all kinds of celebrations, as those from Europe may know, okay, in Germany, there's all kinds of celebrations that they do there with the shoes leaving outside the door in honor of St. Nicholas. Even Muslims who live in the town that he's from in Turkey honor St. Nicholas. That's the impact that his generosity had. He's beloved by all because he cared by all and showed everyone that they matter. Now, that's his life story. We're going to go real quick. We're going to go three lessons. Three lessons that we can take away from this incredible life story. First one I'm going to spend more time on. Second two, I'll move quickly. The first lesson that is very overabundantly clear in the life of Nicholas. The first lesson is that every human has inherent dignity. Every human has inherent dignity. Again, I say this and you say, of course. Human rights, civil rights, inalienable rights. Of course, this is common sense. No, this is not common sense. This is something that we believe today and we should believe, but I'm telling you the majority of history did not buy into this. Jesus was the first one to preach it and he was kind of seen as a weirdo for preaching it. And then the early church adopted it and they were like really, really weird because they cared about people who were like not going to help them back. They cared about like homeless people. Why would you care about a homeless person? That's a waste of your investment. Why would you care about a sick person? Don't you realize a sick person is probably sick because God hates them? They cared about people who were not their own faith. This is the first one to teach it with Jesus, early church. Nicholas makes it strong. Who did history value? History valued the strong. History valued the wealthy. History valued the people who could contribute to society. Nicholas 
cared for all the exact opposite. Nicholas cared for sick, cared for poor, cared for prisoners. He cared for, again, I, I'm not saying this in a, but I'm just trying to get the context. He cared for girls. He cared for single girls who couldn't get married through no fault of their own. Who cares about them? He cared about them. He cared about, we think of St. Nicholas. I say, St. Nicholas, you draw me a picture. Who's surrounding St. Nicholas? Kids. You realize that kids had no value back in the third and fourth century. Kids were a burden. The only value of a child was that one day they could work. And until they could work, they had no value. And St. Nicholas said, no, he's a human being. He has inherent dignity. And he became the patron saint of all children. So what I want to propose to you is this. I want to propose to you that all these concepts that we talk about today, the whole inalienable rights, when we say, you know, lives matter, you know, whatever lives matter, all these ideas, these are not political ideas. These are not social ideas. These are theological ideas. Like, you're not humanitarian if you believe in civil rights. Civil rights is not humanitarian, it's Trinitarian. And if you have a proper understanding of who God is, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then you must believe in the inherent dignity and value of every single person. Let me explain. Another story from the life of Nicholas. This is a fun one. St. Nicholas, when he was a bishop at Myra, was invited to the first ecumenical council in the year 325 at Nicaea. At that time, they gathered all the bishops from all over the world to gather together to discuss the heresy of a guy named Arius. Arius basically had a wrong teaching. And his wrong teaching was that Jesus, Christ, the Logos was not the creator, but a creature. He was not the creator, he was the created. That God the Father created all things, including the Son. And he would take, like John chapter 1, which says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God. And he would say, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was a God. You say to yourself, big deal. You say tomato, I say tomato, like, come on, like, can we all get along? Like, is that that big a deal? It's that big a deal, and I want to show you why. Because if Christ were not God, were not creator, if Christ were not God, you would be no less than an animal. If Christ were not God, you would be no different than a dog or a cat or a giraffe or a cockroach or whatever it may be. The only reason that we as human beings have elevation in our status is because we as creatures, we are creatures, God, the creator, took our nature. And when God, full God, took this, he lifted this up. And this now, he did not take the nature of an animal. He took the nature of a man. He took the nature of a human. Okay? And when he did that, he lifted humanity up. And now humanity sits up here on this platform because he is God. If he was not God, then we are no different than, like I said, an animal. Because there's still an infinite gap between who God is and who we are. But what Christ did, as we celebrate in Christmas, what Christ did is he closed the gap. He came down to us and he lifted us up to him. He took what is ours and gave us what is his. But there's no value in what is his unless what is his is God. Does that make sense? So giving us what is his, if it's not God, is of no value. Like if I give you me, what did I give you? But he gave us divine. And because of that, every human being has value. St. Nicholas goes to the Council of Nicaea. There you have Arius, yap, yap, yapping about his false, nonsensical heresy. All the other bishops are telling him he's wrong. He's yap, yap, yapping. He's actually starting to sway the vote. He's a very eloquent speaker, and people are starting to join him. 
Nicholas has had enough. Nicholas stands up. He berates Arius. He goes up to him. And he punches him in the face. Knocks him out. And then he ends up in prison. Because the emperor was at the council and it was illegal to strike anyone in the presence of the emperor. So Nicholas did time. He's in prison. Now he repents. And he says he's sorry. And they pardon him, but he did spend one night in the slammer. Thankfully, that part of the story didn't make it to the story of Santa Claus. You know what I mean? Like, the, who's naughty or nice? And you know what I mean? Like, imagine that. Okay, so thankfully, you don't get punched by Santa in the story. But the point is this. The point is, it was his theological understanding that drove his practical living on a day-to-day -day basis. This child is useless. No, they're not. Because their nature was blessed by the divine. So they have dignity inside them. And if they have no food, if they have no clothing, if they have no shelter, if they have no ability to get married, if they have no ability to have proper hygiene, that matters. If this prisoner has no, has no ability to a fair trial to justice, that matters. Don't just say prisoner. This prisoner has been blessed in their nature by God. You see how the theology leads to the practical? said in this way in Acts chapter 10. This is a passage about when St. Peter receives a vision from God about how don't say the Gentiles are bad because they're not like you. Don't say the Gentiles are bad. I love the Gentiles just as much because in truth, this is what Peter says, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The old King James, this expression, no partiality, is translated. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. You would say, isn't that bad? No, what it meant it was an expression that basically say, okay, here comes the king. He's a person. You respect his personhood. There's a poor person. Who cares about them? You valued people by their social class. God doesn't have no social class. God is no respecter of persons. High class, low class, same in my eyes. Spiritually, Jew, Gentile, heathen, doesn't matter. All same in God's eyes. Ethnically, doesn't matter. Gender, doesn't matter. Age, doesn't matter. Every single one of them who's a human being has been lifted by God, and therefore it is our duty to show them the same dignity that God showed. That's the first thing we learn from St. Nicholas. We don't just help people who can help us back. We don't just do nice things, oh, here comes someone who's influential, someone who's famous. Someone... No. Every human being has equal dignity in the eyes of God and has to have equal dignity in the eyes of us as well. Second lesson that we're going to learn. We'll move through these more quickly. This one's an oldie but a goodie. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You've heard this expression before. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. St. Nicholas, look, we talk a lot. And rightly so. We talk a lot about evangelism. We talk a lot about let your light shine that others may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Rightly so. Very important. We talk a lot about share the good news and share the good... We, that's great. But let's not do it so much and worry so much about others seeing our light that we neglect a super important part of Christianity, which is don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Two have to be in balance. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, 
you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. It's good to witness, good to evangelize, good to share. But it's also good to do some secret things which nobody knows about except you and your Heavenly Father. Just yesterday, in case you think like this is one of those old school things of helping people in secret like a Santa Claus thing. Just yesterday, we have in this congregation, in this church, the nicest, most generous people in the world. That's why you say like, oh, you find anything to do in a series on generosity? You must have some Scrooge miserable people here. No, couldn't be further from the truth. Just yesterday, family came to me out of the blue. A family who's not wealthy, family whose house is smaller than mine, and neither of us are, are, are making great money. A family who's, you know, struggling to make ends meet, came to me and said, we want to do something nice for another member in our church family who may be going through a hard time. I said, who? They said, we don't care. We just want you to tell us who could use a generous gift for this Christmas season. An anonymous, like nobody's going to know, just you. So I thought of someone who maybe, you know, maybe share something like this with. And just yesterday, they came over to my house, in the snow, in the morning, and they dropped off four boxes. Four boxes of stuff they just want to give to a, to a family they don't even know. And I'm telling you, I saw dad pull up the car, yelled at the kid to put on his coat, yelled at the other kid to put on the other coat, okay? And I saw the kids with such smiles on their faces. And I said, you know what? If I'd have bought, quadrupled this, and given it to that child, it wouldn't have put that smile on their ch kid's face. It wouldn't have. I know it. I know the children. Trust me, I know the children. But the smiles on their faces and the joy that they have from giving in secret and nobody's going to know and no one's going to see this, but God is going to... And I told them, you know what? Tomorrow I'm talking about Santa Claus. I'm talking about St. Nicholas. And you know what? Y'all are doing that. And I'm telling you, smile ear to ear. What I'm trying to show you is that stuff still happens today. And your father who sees in secret rewards you openly. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge to every single person, and I want you to take this seriously. This is from God, not from me. This week, do one thing in secret, which nobody knows except you and God. Do one thing. And maybe the person who's the recipient, because it's really hard to do something like fully in secret, so the person can know. But do one thing which nobody knows about, which nobody asked you for. One, maybe it's a kind note that you leave on the secretary's desk. Maybe it's a financial gift that you just put in somebody's mailbox. Maybe it's the way that you, uh, uh, when you, uh, well, I guess we're done raking now, but you, when you rake somebody's lawn, just for the good, just for good. Do one thing this week. Can you do one act of charity, which nobody knows about, nobody sees, nobody will reward you, nobody will put a headline, there'll be no spotlight on you. Do one thing, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're going to receive 10 times more than you give from that act. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Third, and last lesson that we learned from St. Nicholas is that Christmas isn't your birthday. It's Jesus's. Christmas is not your birthday. Did you know that? That's not how we act. We act as if Christmas is our birthday. It's Jesus's. And we need to start treating it like that. Christmas isn't about receiving gifts. It isn't even, watch me carefully on this one. It isn't even about receiving the gift of God only. It's about receiving the gift of God 
and being that gift of God for somebody else. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about receiving. It's about exemplifying. It's about recreating. It's about being the generous gift of God, the reality in someone else's life. St. Paul wrote to his disciple Titus, and he says this, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, this is what we receive on Christmas, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Let's take that one and apply that to us in this Christmas. That the goal of Christmas, that we receive this great gift of God, and other translations say that we would deny ungodliness and renounce riches. That's other translations. That we would renounce the riches of this world and that we would live soberly, within our means, humbly, modestly, godly in this present age. Why? Because now he's going to point us to the age to come. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. And what should those special people be characterized by? They should be, say it with me, they should be zealous for good works. I didn't hear anybody except myself. They should be zealous for good works. That is what Christmas is all about, is that we receive, and we receive so much generosity that we turn around and we are zealous for good works. Did you know well, we are in the season of Advent right now? Advent means the coming. Okay, the advent of something like the dawn of a new age, the advent of a new age. Advent means preparing for the coming of Christ. Did you know that there are two advents? There are two advents. The first advent, which we're celebrating now, is when Christ came into the world the first time. The second advent is when he's going to come again. The first advent is all about him giving generously everything for our sake. And the second advent is to see if we will do the same back for him. The first advent, he gave for us. The second advent, will he find us doing the same for him and for his children? Will he find us zealous for good works? Will he find us impacting lives like St. Nicholas did? Will he find us giving, begging like the Macedonians, begging to give more? Or will he find us sitting on a pile of gifts, comparing what we have with what other people have, complaining that it's not good enough. Will he find us self-focused or others-focused? Will he find our lives characterized by generosity or by consumption? Will we be good for goodness sake or will we be good for Christ's sake? St. Nicholas, the doors of his house were open to all. He was a father to the orphans, to the poor, a merciful giver, to the weeping, a comforter, to the wronged, an advocate. And here sums it up. To all, a great benefactor. Man. I was just at a funeral yesterday. And you know, every time at a funeral, you can't help but think, what are people going to say about me? What are people going to say about me? I would love people to say that about me. He was a great benefactor to all. To who's to all? To the homeless? Yeah. But also to the, to the rich. 
To the women, yeah, but also to the men. To the adults, but also to the kids. To anybody. Someone was orphaned, he was father. Someone was poor, he was merciful giver. Someone was weeping, he was a comforter. Someone was wrong, he was an advocate for their justice. He was, everywhere he went, just like Christ. An advocate, zealous for good works. So I said about Jesus this way. said a slightly different way. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. May that be said about us. Let that be said about us. That we went about. We weren't the smartest, we weren't the richest. We weren't uh, the smartest people in the world. But we went about doing good. We went into this office building. We did our best. We went about doing good. We were benefactors to all. We were zealous for good works. We moved into this neighborhood. And we did our best to do good to all. We went about doing good. Everywhere we went. Can that be said about us? It must be said about us. You know... During this season, we hear the phrase Christmas spirit a lot, right? Like the Christmas spirit, right? Like if you watch the movie Elf or you spread the Christmas cheers, sing loud, do like the Christmas spirit. And what's the Christmas spirit? This magical, like, I don't even know, mistletoe, Santa Claus, Rudolph, Frosty. I don't know what Christmas spirit is. I went online, I went on Google, typed in Christmas spirit. The first six things were some about essential oil, okay, called Christmas spirit. What's Christmas spirit? I'll tell you what Christmas spirit is. Christmas spirit is irrational generosity. That's Christmas spirit. Get rid of the Hollywood Christmas spirit. That's nonsense. Christmas spirit is irrational generosity. Is giving, not for the sake of receiving, but knowing that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. And we will seek to be generous givers with our time, with our money, with our homes, with our food, with our ears, with our hearts, with everything that we can. We will seek to be zealous for good works because that's the true spirit of Christmas. That Christ came to give everything for us that we would do the same for him and for his children. I love St. Nicholas. Do you love St. Nicholas? Just nod, just say yes. I love St. Nicholas. A lot of people, you know, there's this whole get rid of the commercialization of Christmas and, you know, the Santa Claus and the, uh, all this, even like the whole Xmas thing. And like, we don't want that. We want, you know, Jesus Christmas. I agree. But hey, let's not resist the commercial, commercialization of Christmas because in case you haven't noticed, that train's left the station. It's not coming back. Okay. There's no such thing as a non-commercialized Christmas. That, 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 that ship has sailed. Let's instead, let's embrace the jolly fat guy. And let's say, you know what? We don't want to get rid of Santa Claus, okay? We embrace him. But let's understand who he really is. Like, that's just a, a, the kid's version. We know who the real St. Nicholas was. As I said earlier, the most famous man who ever lived on this planet was Jesus. And I would venture to say that the second most well-known person all over the world today is St. Nicholas. May not know that's his name, but they certainly know his story. Not even knowing they know his story, they know his story. And now you know his story. And let's continue his story. Let's see the fat guy. And let's say, you know what? We want to be like the real guy who inspired this. And we want to be generous givers everywhere we go. I'll leave you all with this. A hymn that the Eastern Orthodox Church says on the Feast of St. Nicholas, which I think beautifully summarizes who he was. They say, you are the image of humility and a teacher of self-control. Because of your humble life, heaven was open to you. Because of your poverty, Spiritual riches were granted to you. O holy Bishop Nicholas, we cry out to you, pray to Christ our God. 
that our souls may be saved. Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the kindness and goodness and generosity that you showed to us by your incarnation, and you've shown to us every single day that we've been alive, even before we were alive. Lord, your generosity, unfathomable. For us who are just mere little creatures, but you, Lord, have showered us with all goodness and all grace. Thank you for the example that you gave us in St. Nicholas, that this kind of irrational generosity, it is possible for normal people. It's something that we can attain, that we can give, even though we may not want to give or may not feel like we have enough to give, we can be like St. Nicholas. Help us, Lord, to be generous. Help us to be zealous for good works. Help us to follow the example that St. Nicholas led. And let this world to know how great you are and give thanksgiving to you and change their view of you by the way that we behave and that we act in it. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, our Lord, our God, and our Savior, Christ Jesus, the prayers of all your saints, especially St. Nicholas. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.